Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Church. Hey, everybody. Man, it is so good to see all of you again. I love you guys. I missed you. Everyone's like, okay. <laughs> Shoot. I'm like casting this energy and you're throwing back like crumbs. Come on now. I love you guys. So good to be with you. What a blessing to be in the house of God together. Hey, tonight you are going to really enjoy what we're going to do because I really believe that this series is showcasing just what we're all going through. We're all going through different seasons in various ways. Some of us in different seasons that we would say we like. Others saying, hey, we're in a good season that we are dreading being in. You know, my wife and I, we really enjoy plants right now in our life. More so her than me. I'm kind of her cheap labor. And uh, I don't get paid, but really, but, um, you know, with hugs and kisses. So that's all take it. No awe? Okay. All right. All right. All right. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. But really, it's been just fun. We, I like going out there, getting my hands in the soil. I was reading a study, actually. It was talking about the fact that when you put your hands in the soil, there is something incredible that actually happens biologically. You become more centered to just the earth, the ground, the nutrients that are there. Um, and you become a little bit more optimistic. It's actually like as if you were taking a Prozac pill. Can you believe it or not? So that's why I'm so happy all the time. I'm in the garden, you know, and just that's, that's what's happening. And the other thing is that we just love seeing life happen. We lived in Arkansas for a bit, and there's a kind of a strange growing season. You'd think in the summers it would be great. Man, it was really hard to grow stuff. It was hot, humid. It was tough. Then you come back to California, the growing season is long. Man, all the time you could be growing stuff. But see, the thing is there are seasons... In life and romance and love. There are seasons in which you are in a planting season. There are seasons in which it's a winter and it seems like, man, stuff's dying. There's nothing going on. There seems like there's no life here. Now, this plant, it is all for show because this is completely dead, okay? So the guy that was hopefully supposed to water all the plants never seemed to want to water this one downstairs in the media house. I think it was because it was, anyway. He liked this one. But then there's times where it's a harvest season. Man, it's colorful. It's exciting. People are around. There's movement. There's motion. You're feeling good. Everyone else is feeling good. It's a time when you are in bliss and you feel as though, man, I could stay in this forever. And then there's times of pruning. Times when things get cut, trimmed. When it feels like it just hurts and you wonder if it'll ever end. Not realizing that the pruning builds into the season of springtime. So, seasons. Seasons of life. Seasons of love. Tonight, our title is Single But Useful. Single But Useful. Tonight, I hope that you understand that you can live your very best life 
even while you're in a season of singleness. Next week, we're going to look at lucky in love or just wise. Dating with purpose and vision, learning principles for success, and learning from failure. Then we're going to look at red flags and necessary endings two weeks from now. Knowing how to understand when it's time to end as you learn about red flags and green flags and figure out how to recover. And then we're going to look at marriage and divorce. Persevering in challenging seasons and getting the most out of married life. Some of you are wondering, man, why would you preach to singles about marriage? What would be the point of doing that? Well, listen to what Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, just retired and then ended up sadly passing away last year. And he wrote this in his phenomenal book, The Meaning of Marriage, that I'll talk about in another, in another sermon. And he says, the answer is that single people cannot live their lives well as singles without a balanced informed view of marriage if they do not have if they don't have that they will either over desire it or they'll under desire marriage and either of those ways of thinking will distort their lives and so we jump into a passage that's going to be kind of our key look for this evening we're looking at a passage of scripture for the whole series from the book of corinthians chapter 7 the very first very first book of Corinthians, chapter 7. And we're going to be looking tonight at a section there that's talking to the singles. So if you have your Bible, I want you to pull it out with me for a moment. And let's look up 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, okay? So go with me to 1 Corinthians, chapter 7. Pull out your Bible digitally, or if you brought your real word, there you got it. And let's look at this now for a moment together. Beginning in verse 25, listen to this. Now, concerning virgins, the singles, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give you judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. He's trying to say, listen, I've got a word for you just simply based on something that you got to understand from my experience. God has been merciful to me in this season of my life. Well, in which way? I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Hey, don't seek. Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I want to spare you. Wait a minute. Marry, it's okay. Don't get married, it's okay. Singles, you as a single person, you're okay. Why is he saying this? Well, you first have to understand some of the context of that present ancient world. If you were living as a single, you were unfortunately thought to be living less than your fullest potential. You were understood to be someone who has not received God's blessing. You're a person who, in many ways, would struggle. You'd be kind of pushed to the side. You couldn't have kids. Ooh, that's another mark against you. So you're single, and you don't have any kids. Some of you are like, thank God. I'm in a season of just being grateful. Well, in that ancient time, no, that wasn't like that. If you were single and you didn't get married, that was a horrible thing to go through. When Jacob wanted to marry Rachel so badly... But the father kind of tricked him into marrying Leah. 
that was because Leah was getting in that season when she was getting older and no one was searching out for her and his reputation and the family's reputation was starting to get pummeled. You got a single daughter nobody wants to be with? We don't even want to be around you either anymore. Ooh. But what Paul is doing here, he's actually doing something that we don't even understand unless we understand the context. You see, Paul is trying to encourage us today, here and now, through his example. He said, hey, I'm a trustworthy example of God's mercy because I'm single. He's saying that, listen, it is okay to be single. It's okay because our Lord Jesus, too, was single. For the first time now, the New Testament elevates a status of life, a season of life that many believed was a cursed, wretched dead thing and he says no 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 you don't understand that's not a curse that's actually a blessing if if you understand how to be useful in it you see paul continues and he says but i say this verse 29 the time is short so that from now on, even those who have wives should live as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For, for the form of this world is passing away. The world was coming to an end in some sense of the understanding of that time. Many believe that Jesus was coming again. But in reality, what he's also expressing is that the kingdom of God has appeared. We've got a job to do. The Messiah has entered the world. Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah has entered and it changes everything. That means that singles, now they are our most useful asset. What? Absolutely. Because Paul goes on and he tells us in a previous section that he says, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows, live and remain as you are. What? Oh, come on, man. That's like my, my goal, my aim. I want to be married. And he says, wait, wait, wait but, but listen, understand. Those of you who are married have to unfortunately worry about the cares and trials of this world. Those of you who are single can be useful for the kingdom. It's a hard thing to be in a season of singleness. It's not easy. After I talk to one single young adult and another, and the age seems to continue moving up, 21, 22, get a boyfriend, leave a boyfriend, get a girlfriend, leave a girlfriend, 26, 27, 28, 29, is it going to happen? Am I going to? And then the pressure keeps going even more. There's an unfortunate reality that you get into your 30s and you thought at this time you would have been. And you can name all the things. I wish I, by this time I had my degree, wish I had a house, wish I had some kids, I wish I would be Married. Mm. So tonight we want to talk about these three phases 
that you can weave in and out of in your single years that I, as your pastor, want to convey to you tonight that I think would bless you and help you in this time. There are three phases. A phase of refinement or pruning, a phase of building and growth, and a phase of sustaining the journey of singleness. So I want you to pay attention to these three sections here. Refining, pruning. You know, it's an interesting thing to prune something. If you've ever been in a grape kind of vineyard, you will see that during a season of pruning, it literally looks like people have just killed the plant. I mean, they're trimming everything. Everything's coming off virtually besides the biggest, largest vine and some of the branches that are kept there because there will be life that will emerge. It is a hard thing. Sometimes people would say, you have to be an expert at pruning. And I kind of would agree because I kind of killed a tree just this last year. I over pruned. But I want you to remember a few principles in the season of pruning. And I entitled it that there are no accidental saints. Kelly kind of helped me mark this with that idea. You see, we want to be incredible people to our future spouse. We want to have everything kind of going for us. We want to have every mark of beauty, intelligence, career, appeal in every way, both in material gains, in intellect, spiritually, physically. We want to be people that someone is going to look at us and they're going to say, wow, wow. You want them to take a double look and keep going back. Like, whoa, wait a minute. But you see, when we talk about the idea that someone is a spiritual titan, they're at the prowess of their spiritual apex. Man, this person, biblically, ancient kind of ter terminology, they are a saint. Now, sometimes it can be thought of as a negative thing. Bro, why are you acting like a saint here, man? Come on. We, we all, we're real here. But there's this idea that sainthood was also something in Christian tradition that people would seek to be like. Someone who was a person of great value and someone you would want to emulate. But you see, the thing is, to become a saint, it didn't just happen by accident. There were no accidental saints. Have you ever met that someone that just kind of really became good at nursing with not ever going to nursing school, not ever being in any kind of relationship with someone who's a nurse. Imagine someone that's amazing at accounting and they've never even learned how to count. Like, wait, how? That's impossible. You're right, it is. Unless there was some kind of miracle and divine thing, I get it. But, but no, that does not happen. There are no accidental perfect people for you to be around nor for you to be like. It just doesn't happen that way. So. Here are a few ideas that I want you to learn from. I want you to write these down as we go throughout this sermon right now. The first thing is, when we're talking about pruning and growing, you first have to start with the core foundation, understanding that you always must remember you are a son and a daughter. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians 6.18 tells us, that I will be a father to you, says the Lord. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. God looks at us and he says, you're my family. We're blood now. The children of Israel looked at everyone who was a Gentile, the people who were non-Jews, and they said, mm, 
You're not us. You're not in. But what did Jesus say through the prophet Paul? He said, you have now been grafted in. Again, a pruning term. It was literally you're, you're cut and you're placed into a tree, but you're an orange tree. How am I being grafted into a lemon tree? How does this work? This is weird. If you've ever seen a tree that has like literally five different types of fruits growing from it, fruit, actually, sorry, fruits is not the correct English. I'm ESL, don't worry. And so people wonder, how does that happen? Well, it happens because they have been grafted in. They've been chosen to be part of it. It took some work, some pain, but it happened. And now this is part of the, the tree itself. And God says, you are always my son's and daughters. You're part of my family. I know you want to be attached to somebody, some really beautiful man, some incredibly attractive woman. I know you want to be part of her family, his family, but you need to understand that you're part of mine first. You're part of mine first. It's a tough thing when a guy and a girl get into a relationship and someone doesn't understand that they are first and foremost part of God's family. They're always looking to that person to give them that greater satisfaction and meaning in life because they are their everything. But Jesus says, wait, you're first mine. You know, I love the idea of what happens when there's a wedding and a woman comes down and if she has a father that has been in her life or he's alive and he kind of walks her down, it's a great thing. And then there's this moment where as a pastor get to say, who gives this bride to be married to this man? And the father then says, I do. And I usually see the dad beaming, eyes welling up with tears. He, he lifts the veil and he kisses his daughter and he gives her to the man who shakes his hand and gives him a hug. And it's a great thing. But you see, a lot of us forget though, even if you didn't have a great father, even if you didn't have a relationship with him, your first father is in heaven. Guy, girl, doesn't matter. Your first spiritual family is him. If he is not the first family, you will always be clinging to that person for your everything in a way that can never satisfy you. Secondly, with that idea is the fact that many times, Sometimes, maybe I should say not many times, but sometimes you'll meet someone in church and you'll assume, hey, they share the same values I do. They're a believer. Where did I meet them? I met them at church. And then you get into the relationship, you realize, wait a minute, this girl doesn't actually believe much of this. Wait a minute, this guy, he was like this. This looks just like a plant. Looks beautiful, looks so nice, shiny even. I'm more drawn to this than this thing. But this is plastic. <laughs> there is nothing living about this. On the outside for the moment, you're like, wow. My goodness, if I could just be in a relationship with this, this would complete me. And you realize it doesn't grow. It doesn't produce any fruit, actually. It doesn't go through the seasons of pruning. If I cut this, it will never grow back. And 
you're in a relationship with someone that you cut something, dude, that doesn't come back because this person in every way isn't connected first with the Father. Hmm. So in this first season, I want you to move out of yearning for them first and move into yearning for Christ first. Paul tells us it is good to marry. He says, you desire to get married? Great, do it. You didn't sin. That's a blessing. I hope you desire to be married. Sometimes pastors cast this vision where sometimes some people might feel a little bit guilty, like, oh, I really want to get married, but it might seem a little bit kind of needy or something. Like, no, man, that's good. Paul says, hey, you're burning with lust. You're burning for that. Good, get married. That's the blessing. That's the privilege of marriage. Enjoy it. That's a great thing. But don't forget the order. You're first his son and his daughter. Second thing in this time of singleness, this moment and season of pruning, you have to practice the art of confession. Confession to yourself and confession to others. James chapter 5, verse 13, I quote this all the time when I'm talking with my guys who come into my office, bro, there's something I got to talk to you about. And usually there's a couple things. And we sit there together and I read this Bible verse and I level with them and like, bro, I'm in this with you. I understand. I, I get it. And the Bible verse goes like this, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you might be healed. This season of singleness, it is so important that you're going through the process of confession. You want to become the most healthy individual that you can be. I'm not saying that if you're in a relationship and you're going through troubles and trials, that that's a bad thing and you should break up and forget it. No, that's good. Work through stuff. Learn how to navigate conflict. A lot of people don't know how to do that and they break up too quick. Sometimes we'll learn though there are red flags and you do need to let go. But you want to be able to give that person you potentially will meet one day the best version of yourself possible. And so that means that each one of us must go through the process of pruning, reflection, beginning the process of asking people in your life some hard questions. Hey, tell me, what are some things I potentially should be looking at, working on in my life? Some of you don't want to ask that question. I don't want to ask that question. It's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable and to invite people into the space of your heart where it's like, ah, bro, let me tell you, uh, you thought you were cool, but uh, I'm going to level with you. You're an egghead. And you don't really have very good conversations. When we discuss things, I don't feel like you're listening. And on the other side, when you do give a comment, it's like out of left field. Like, were you even in the conversation? that's hard to hear but that's important this is your time to grow because when you prune it provides the opportunity for the trunk of the plant to keep its nutrients and to grow a better harvest than when the spring emerges pruning is a good thing therapy is excellent spending time with a pastor a mentor someone that you want to come alongside you that is awesome Jesus is your greatest mentor in that way. David, what did he say? Search me, try me, O Lord. Look and see if there's any anxious way within me. Help me understand who I am.
I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. Boom, next phase, building. You want to always have a mindset of growth. There has to be always a mindset of growing. Many of us have grown really complacent, and I am in the midst of that with you because of the distractions provided by technology. Instead of growing our minds intellectually, we just keep scrolling for hours. The average young adult scrolls three hours at the minimum, up to six a day. I listen, I've been there for a couple hours before. You're like, how did this happen? It's like a time warp. Those shorts, they're evil. They'll get you, man. So interesting. But you want to have a mindset of growth. And this first idea is that you're always growing and learning. You're always seeking to better yourself, finding ways to provide for yourself. Finding financial means, that's a really important part of the single years. When guys and girls want to say, hey, listen, I'd like to get this degree to have some money to be able to provide. Hey, that's not a bad thing. That's really good. You need to do something with your time that's growing you and making you a more productive human being. If you find yourself just engaged so hardcore into your hobbies that don't actually provide you for momentum to go forward, that isn't always the best space that you can be in. Second thing in this season of growth is deepening your friendships and community. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, Do not neglect the gathering of the saints as some are already doing, but encourage each other as the day is approaching. It's such an important time right now that you're deepening in your friendships. Sometimes we ask ourselves, man, God, I don't actually know how to build good friendships. It's crazy. The more you get to be as an adult, the less and less friendships you have. It's like, dude, when I was a kid, everybody was my buddy. And then you get a little bit older, and it's like, well, I don't know if I want to be their friend. And then you get even older, and it's like, shoot, I don't know if I can say I have like two solid friends that I can count on. One study done on loneliness found that in New York, used to be 10 years ago that people could say on average they at least had one solid friend. Now, zero. Literally, the average is zero. It's painful. This season of singleness, it's so important to deepen in your friendships because you're actually getting to a place now where you can invite a potential partner into a community. You want others to get to know you. You want that security of a community that can provide encouragement, that can provide blessing, structure for your relationship. Third, strive for eulogy virtues over resume virtues. It was something I talked about in my sermon a few weeks ago here at the main church. And it's this idea that you need to be striving in this sense of building to build things at your core level, the eulogy virtues. These are the virtues that people will be able to recount when you die one day. And it's told that you would have a eulogy. This is the thing that people recount when you're passed away and there you're in the coffin or you're cremated. And people start sharing various nice and kind things about you. 
the core of who you were. You know what? When I needed a friend, she was there. When things got tough, he provided in ways I never imagined anyone could or would. And people cry when they think about who you were in here. Instead, most of the time, we're working on our resume virtues, trying to look good on the outside, but dead in the inside. What good does that do in the final end? There's this tug of war, this balance that has to happen. Listen, I've got to work to provide, but you don't have to work in such a way that your values are materialism and consumerism, where the outside is so polished, where you look so good and chiseled as a man or a woman, but then people want to have deeper, meaningful conversations with you, and there's this struggle because you haven't worked on the core of who you are. That's a very important thing. Fourthly, in this season of growth and building, you want to work on all of you. All of you needs to be built, not just some parts of you. You want to put your best foot forward in all parts of your life. David Goggins, I love how he does this. Or Navy SEAL, John Coe, he talks about the fact that every single one of us has to take extreme ownership of our life. If there's an area in your life that's lacking, don't just say, uh, it's not that big of a deal. No, take extreme ownership of it. Own that part of you. Become the very best in every aspect of you. Sometimes we let things go, but you realize, what if your spouse doesn't like to cook? And neither do you. So you're going to be eating out all the time? Learn some recipes, man. You can cook too. I cook all the time at home. Not very good, but I cook, you know. But the thing is, you want to take ownership of all aspects of your life, your financial parts, your spiritual parts, your physical parts. Take care of who you are and who you're becoming in every part of you. Fifthly, here in this part, and then I'm going to conclude with the sustaining, it's know the core values of what you're looking for. You have to be spending this season building the core values of who you want to be with. But I'm going to tell you this. It needs to be a short list. Some people want to build the list and say, well, these are all core values. They've got to make at least 200,000. $200 a day? No, 200,000 a year or it's just not going to work. Oh, okay, all right, all right. And they've got to have at least like a really nice car that I'm not going to be embarrassed driving. Okay, and they've got to know a couple languages, and she's got to be extremely sexy, nothing less than that. Uh, he's got to have blonde hair. Um, she needs to be of some kind of Asian descent, kind of that's my style. Like, and then people start putting everything down so far, so deep that it's like, an incredible person comes by you and it's like, eh, didn't meet my list. Well, your list needs to get baptized. <laughs> Paul, I mean, I'm serious. David tells us in Psalms 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a guide unto my path. You need to use the word of God to help you figure out what is the core. Jesus says there, or Paul tells us, don't be unequally yoked. Mm. Don't be messing around with someone who isn't a believer. Sure, go ahead and invite them to church. 
You interested? You want to get my number? Sure, you can come to church. Can I get your number first? No. But you can get the number of the pastor <laughs> and the elder and uh, my two really good friends who will do Bible studies with you. If you're interested after the next year and you're kind of growing in Jesus, I might consider it. You know, let your list be defined by the word of God. Let it deepen in meaning. Let those simply few values. Kelly said when we were talking about this, she's like, I think seven, five to seven. Five to seven core values. Make sure you build those right there. Man, let that be part of your life. Now, lastly is this. The single journey will be varied in length for every single one of us. For me and my wife, we got married a little bit earlier, 20 and 22. I've been, I'm going to go on being married 15 years this summer. I don't say that with like, yeah, that's me. I say that just that's what our journey was. We were single a little bit less. For some of you, you're already past the age I'm at, 37, and you're still single. And it's a painful thing for some of you. It's been a drudgery. It's been a hole in your heart. And you're like, God, when is it my turn? There have been tears shed. I've seen them. There have been agonizing despair. People are in depression. It is hard. And so then you ask yourself, well, how can I go the distance of time just in this state? I want to leave you with these several really important sustaining habits. Sustaining the long journey with obedience in the same direction. I remember a buddy of mine telling me, it's one of the hardest things for a great person to wait and not compromise. You know what I'm going to tell you? So what you compromise. I say it in this sense. I hope none of you do, but the reality is all of us do. And so the first point is here, live an accountable life before the Lord, but don't be so accountable to the space of feeling legalistic and in despair and in depression over the guilt and shame of the ways you've compromised where you can't move on. Is that the space God wants you in? First John chapter 1 John 1, 9, confess your sins, and he is faithful to forgive. Some of you need to move out of this guilt and shame relationship that you have with your past. What will sustain you in the longevity of your life? My prayer and hope is that you would be able to be pure in every way that you can. Absolutely. But the fact is that if you do mess up, you need to understand that the mercy and grace of God is for you. Stop living in that life where you constantly just beat yourself. Yeah, but I did. I don't know if I'm worthy for that guy. I don't know if I'm worthy for that girl. If she only knew what I did, like if they understood who I am, and then what? Is that going to help you? No. But Paul also tells us, what do we do with the grace of God? Do we allow ourselves then a license to sin? No, let it not be so among you. We take sin so seriously. And so that's why this first idea is live an accountable life in which you have friends and partners in the journey that hold you accountable. 
hey, this is what I've agreed to living like. These are my values. This is what I want from my life. I meet with the accountability partner every single Thursday at 9 a.m. We just changed to Wednesday, just kidding. Wednesday at 9 a.m., one of my best friends. And we talk on the phone, we'll Zoom, and we talk about life, and then there's this moment like, hey, how's your life going in the area of purity? Are you keeping your mind right? Are your actions aligning with your values? You've got to have that in your life. Some of us are embarrassed to be vulnerable, but let me tell you, when you want to talk about being sustained through the journey of the life, whether married, single, or whatever, you need that. Because we weren't built to be an island. You weren't built to be alone. Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, Holy Trinity of community. We were created for community. And if you're going to be single in your 30s, some 40s, some up to 50, some never marry. I know some of your hearts just dropped. The reality is, statistically says, that 95% of people will marry, at least by the age of 50. But you don't know how long your journey is. Accountability. Submit to one another, Paul says, out of reverence to Christ. In counseling sessions with couples, before we go any further, we have a theology on marriage. And one of those is that you need to have accountability first with God. If you're going to be dating or being getting married to someone who doesn't have that accountability with the Lord, you're going to be struggling. So, with accountability is taking sin seriously, but also taking the grace of God just as seriously. Be dedicated to your life, vision, and mission. You want something to sustain you through your single years? Paul says, hey, you're not married? Praise God, because you can be dedicated to the kingdom. You can be dedicated to things that will add value to the world. You're not married yet? You're maybe dating someone? You're technically still single. You know, but Make sure you have mission and vision in your life. What does the book of Proverbs say? Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. You want to talk about dying in your single years emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, physically, and in every way when you don't have something that compels you beyond hoping the mission is finding a guy, finding a girl. Well, that's my mission, bro. Hey, that can be one of your missions, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it can't be the mission that propels you because guess what? Once you have them, what's your mission then? I guess it's staying married, right? That's a good one. But what is it then? Because together, you need to be invited into a greater mission for the kingdom. So if you don't have that and develop that now, you're going to be missing out on something really important. And guess what? It's extremely attractive. Extremely attractive. I mean, I would use the word sexy. When someone is compelled by a mission and vision that drives them, and you're like, wow. Oh, is she single? She is single. I don't know if she wants to mingle, though. She's all about the Lord. And her life is exciting. I'd love to be part of that. Man, you see that guy? Whoa. The way he serves the children. He will do that with our kids one day. <laughs> right? 
There is this compelling attractiveness with people who are compelled for something more. Make sure you get grounded in understanding that is the best thing you could be doing. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Don't lose, third point here in the idea of sustaining, don't lose hope. Because as you seek God and you have this great vision for your life that's compelling you forward, know that God wants to provide for you. He wants to give you what he believes you need. You see, the thing is, the first thing we can't give up on is the hope that Jesus is coming back. As a single person, that should be a great desire of your life. You know, we talked about it. I remember back in the days when I was in the dorm, and the guys were just kind of, you know, cutting it up. Like, bro, you, how excited are you to get married? And we're all like, so man. And then it's like, one guy said, but how excited are you that Jesus would return? I mean, I'm, 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 you know. And everyone could tell, like, the fuel kind of died a bit. But our heart needs to be consumed with that as well. And knowing that Jesus will provide all you need as together we're seeking his kingdom, waiting for his return. And so I leave you again reminding you that along this journey of being single, my prayer is that you would remain useful. Useful to yourself, useful to the people around you, and useful to the Lord. And my prayer is that you would get the pruning done, the refining, that you would take time to always be growing and deepening, and that you would also remember to add the values that would sustain you through however long this journey of singleness is for you. My prayer is that God's word would nourish you every single week in the next month and that you would enjoy this series because it builds your practical life right now and that you would share this with somebody. Friends, I love you and I care for you. Let me bless you right now. Amazing God, you know the space that people are in right now. You know the longing they have to be married and some to remain married, remain in a relationship. But Father, my prayer is that right now you would build us to yearn for the kingdom more and more. That you would help us find value in Jesus first and foremost. And trust, trust, trust that you have our very best in mind. God, may we not fall into despair believing that you're withholding something that we want so badly. But rather that you're building us in this time and that you're calling us to a greater obedience that will go the distance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.